Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and we're delighted to have back on the podcast with us this week, industry veteran Scott Schutte. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with Scott, but in case you're not yet, then you should know over the past 35 plus years, Scott has served in leadership roles with Fresh Time, Sprouts, and Boshas. Throughout his career, he's received honors, including recognition as Produce Retailer of the Year, Specialty Food Retailer of the Year, And our topic for this conversation is one that we go all kinds of directions with, and it's the creation of the ad. In this conversation, we'll cover writing the ad as a team sport, talking about procurement, category management, director level, all those folks across different departments of the stores and the process of working together to create an ad that really gives recipe inspiration as well as highlights individual items well. We'll talk about having the the classic paper ad versus digital. We'll talk about forecasting and the role that that can play in deciding the pricing you want to offer, the assortment that you want to offer, how you put all those things forth, and even down to little details like what kind of images you use in the ads and do you promote the brands that you're carrying or just the commodity items. So a great discussion with Scott today. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And with that, we'll turn it over to our conversation with Scott Schutte. Scott, it's so great to have you back with us again on the Produce Retail Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, today our topic is one that probably pretty much every director of produce takes up a good bit of time, I would imagine, and that is writing the ad. Tell me uh, from, from your years in the business, just off the top of your head, what are the best things about writing ad and the things about writing the ad that are just just a bit of a pain? <laughs> well, let's start with the positives first. And I think you briefly mentioned something that uh, really made me uh, think about why writing the ads are one of my, my favorite pastimes. And it's simply because uh, writing ads are a team sport. And I think if there's any retailer out there that has a single person responsible and in charge of writing the entire ad, it's probably not the healthiest for their business. Um, When I say team sport, uh, it goes all the way from the procurement team members at different levels, all the way up to category management and into directorship and VP uh, type titles that um, are collaborating together to uh, get the best of the best published for the street, for the customers, and most of all, for creating traffic flow into the store. So it's a team sport. It's always a privilege to collaborate with a bunch of folks that have some great ideas. Um, I use that as an opportunity to challenge lots of folks. I play the devil's advocate pretty well. That's a a favorite position of mine where um, I'm not... uh, canceling out anybody's vote, but I'm always asking questions and wanting to know reasons for, reasons why. And it's a learning process for myself, but I think it's a, a learning process for the group also. So favorite part, definitely it's a, it's a team sport that's uh, fun to play. Least favorite part? Oh, that's a great question. My least favorite part um, might catch you off guard a little bit. It's uh, navigating mother nature. And in the world of perishables, um, we often rely on what mother nature provides us. Um, Writing a grocery ad is quite a bit different. That can of soup 
where the can of green beans on the shelf is going to be pretty steady and constant. And along with availability and cost, it's pretty easy to predict. Uh, you get a fresh green bean crop or other fresh produce commodity items. And sometimes it becomes a, a real challenge to predict availability and to ensure supplies and costs are going to be where they need to be when that ad finally hits the streets. So, Well, and you mentioned the, the finally part of it, right? What, what is, is there a typical timeline for building the ad? I, I know from, from folks I've talked to before, it sounds like this can vary from organization to organization, sure. right? And I think it sounded like COVID kind of changed that in some ways for people too. I know um, folks who typically would plan really far in advance were maybe condensing those timelines a little bit as the supply chain became a little less predictable. And then folks who like to play it really close and be really reactive thought, okay, we, we need to plan a little bit further out to give us a little more stability, right? So so what what are your thoughts on kind of the, the ideal timeline with, the, with that ad? Yeah, my opinion on that one is going to be kind of a hybrid version of what you just talked about. Um, there are a lot of key feature commodities that are going to be maybe your, your front page drivers, your big top level items. And those are items that are going to need as far out as possible to kind of solidify a agreement with a grower or shipper and to start networking a placeholder for those type of items. So I'd like to use heavy duty front page items as probably a three or a four week lead time that uh, we would be working on something like that. When it comes to uh, secondary and tertiary type items that go into the ad, um, I'm a little bit on the opposite side. I like to have a little as possible lead time and I kind of narrow that down to two weeks. And I do that for a, a number of reasons. Um, first of all, they're not quite as important as that front page feature item, yet they still are semi-pivotal to the ad performance in general. So um, the farther that you wait until the ad breaks, the bigger the opportunity is that you have to work with the grower and shipper and validate that indeed that item is going to be available when your ad breaks. There's nothing worse than hosting an ad and publishing it to you know, the general public and then not having that particular item because of the fact that maybe you were three, four, five weeks out in planning and the crop looked great at that time. But in the last couple of weeks, Mother Nature had thrown a rainstorm or a heat wave or uh, a cold spell into the mix and jeopardized the, the tonnage or the volume that was going to be coming from that crop. So when you plan ads two weeks out, you have that opportunity for a 10-day weather forecast and to be able to work with your grower shippers and um, have pretty good odds on knowing what the weather's going to be like. And you're going to be able to at least get front loaded and ready to go with supply chain and have plenty of product to get out there and, and perform well. So um, I like the combination of both. I'll use a little three to four week strategy on some of the heavy hitters and then back it up with a, a two week strategy on the secondary and tertiary type items that help make up the ad. So. Gotcha. And kind of a, along that same line of, of questions about the timeline, you mentioned at the top, it, it's a team sport. You have a whole lot of people contributing to this. What is sort of the, the timeline look like as far as where the input is coming from those different groups? 
Yeah, to, to get it kicked off, I mean, a lot of the background work or the uh, down in the trenches type work, that comes from the procurement team early on. They're the folks that uh, are, are navigating and working um, tirelessly with all the particular growers and shippers of the commodities that they represent. Um, I know in the past, it wasn't uncommon for, for me at all to have a particular procurement team buyer that had eight, nine, 10 different grape growers that uh, he or she would work with and I attempt to identify out of those eight, nine or 10 players, first and foremost, who had the best quality product. Second, um, you know, who would get that product delivered on time and effectively to the distribution center as far as a level of service they provided. And then last but not least, out of those eight, nine, 10 suppliers, which one of them ultimately had the best cost or was able to help us promote at that point in time that would uh, drive some sales and make some profits for the total company. So it starts out with the buying team for sure. The procurement folks um, start working their magic a little bit earlier. And they're the folks that uh, put some of the opportunities together on paper and kind of help introduce um, what's available because of the seasonal time of year or what uh, survived the latest weather crisis that's going on in the market and kind of give us an overall idea of what the commodity market looks at that time. So they help get it kicked off for us. After that, it'll drift over to kind of a category management type format where um, we do a lot of historical data looking and, and peeking under the tent at and go back to the same time period last year and kind of understand that same week last year, how did it perform? You know, how did it do? Was it uh, an epic failure or was it one of our greatest ads of, of the year? And we'll kind of look at what made it great and what kind of opportunities it had that we could do better on the next time and that we learned from, and then establish the fact that uh, we've got some year over year sales results that we need to make and achieve. So knowing how it performed last year, um, that's great. Um, one thing that I hate to do, and uh, it, it's very easy to do in our business, is that um, the ability to get stuck in the groove and repeat the same thing that you did last year. Most of the time, Mother Nature doesn't allow you to do that, but um, for the most part, you're, you're held captive on the items that you can promote by the condition that they're in this year for a harvest season. Sometimes they line up with last year many times that they don't. So with the help from category management and understanding some of the wins from last year and what to stay away from from this year, there's a lot of good hard looks into data and performance and especially budgets on where you need to be this year in order to even begin the ad writing process. So, you know, if you're up against a very tough week or if you've got an opportunity to save a really good item, and maybe hold back those strawberries until the week after, because the week after is maybe a harder week to achieve year over year growth. And it's a more important week for the total business for drawing customers into the store and getting a good solid customer traffic count. So that would be probably the midway point of the ad writing process. Uh, towards the end, um, in my past lives, it always became again, a group effort that uh, usually there was members of the procurement team 
uh, definitely members of the category management team, and then members of the executive team working together to uh, really provide some information and question each other on what would work best for a sequence of ad items that were gonna be selected. And so a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations, a lot of fact-finding, a lot of uh, hypotheticals. If we do this, what will the results be? And that's an important part of the tail end of the ad writing process because that's something that uh, we're able to take all of our guesswork and program it into a software simulator and really have it spit out what the results potentially could be. And that would help us better understand if we're gonna achieve those year over year sales that we would like to, or if we're gonna be as profitable as our budget requires us to be for this particular ad period. So that's kind of the tail end of that. There's a lot of nooks and crannies in between that uh, we have to pay attention to, but that's kind of the, the three staple areas of the ad writing process that uh, are biggest in my mind. Okay, okay. And I'm curious too, obviously, uh, I think traditionally the goal of, of the ad is to sh you know, show, show the customers where the value's at, right? Really drive those volumes. Are, are there other things to, to kind of keep in mind, like other goals that you want the, the ad to achieve, you know, whether it's showing off, um, I know you've talked before about conventional and organic, and I was thinking, you know, bulk and packaged or fresh cut or, you know, different, different versions of the different product that's available. How do you approach kind of getting the right mix um, from that part, from that part of it? Yeah, great question. In fact, I might go off on a, a little bit of a, another direction, but um, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, um, other departments were more of the center of the bullseye when it came to ad writing and the ad flyer. Um, it wasn't uncommon at all to see the front page feature item uh, be a, a meat department item, you know, a protein, some form of a, a meat item from their department or, or the grocery department. Um, there was the, the giveaway on soda pop or potato chips or whatever the giveaway item might have been. But years ago, the focus was on different areas of the business. Right now, in today's day and age, um, any ad that you look at, center of the bullseye has kind of shifted over to either a combination of all of the above and produce, or in some cases, just produce. And produce is kind of at the top of the ad or the attention getter. So as far as item selection goes, you've not only got to pick the right item for the produce department to help drive sales, maintain profitability, but you've got to pick the right item to draw in customer traffic for the entire store. And that's the deli and the bakery and the seafood and meat department, dry grocery, liquor, and all the other departments are really depending on the produce department for that invitation to the customer to, uh, to stop in and buy that feature ad item. And once you get them into the store, it's up to the rest of those departments to help fill up the basket and build the basket size for that particular customer each time that they shop. So a lot of pressure on produce these days to help create that customer traffic. But um, the second part to your question uh, was more of uh, who's to say what the right type of items are or maybe the right ratio of packaged items to fresh bulk items and so on. Um, no major real rules of thumb, but the one thing you don't want to do 
is become predictable and repetitive and have a set schedule of uh, every other week, you know, there's a certain item that gets, or a certain family of items that gets featured. You've got to mix it up a little. Um, when you're writing an ad, you have to think of it as a, a customer entertainment value, that they need something different. Um, they need to be able to have visibility to some new and exciting things. Um, in my past life, we've often done some crazy stuff with uh, promoting something like a, a dragon fruit, you know, an item that's not a mainstream item and it's not in every shopper's basket by any means, but we had some spectacular results by just kind of picking something that was a little bit different, but yet trendy and something we could provide a good value with and generate some sales with, we ended up with some success. So you've got to take some risks and have some of those different oddball items out there, but you also have to keep in mind too, of your customer base that you're actually providing an ad for. And you mentioned earlier, organics. Um, organics is a big part of your customer base and it's the biggest growing part of your customer base. So providing uh, an ample rotating different selection week after week of popular trending organic items, um, that's super critical for putting the ad together. I know I'll go back in history again, um, not too many years ago, I won't even uh, date myself, but not too many years ago, organic items didn't exist on the front page or even in the back page, anywhere in the ad. Nobody promoted organic items. It's not uncommon at all right now that the front page feature item is an organic item. And we've all seen many retailers that are going that direction. Um, that's the trend that's going on right now. So you've got to be aware of what trends are happening and how um, today's day and age has shifted over from that conventional shopper that didn't care much about organic to a lot of shoppers that are transitional shoppers and they either don't know about organics and want to and are ready to transition or they've already transitioned over and they're diehard organic shoppers. So having a healthy mix of organic and conventional together is uh, super critical for each of the ads. And Scott, when you mentioned the uh, the front page and how produce a lot of times is, you know, that feature item will, will carry the pressure of getting folks into the store. Yep. I was curious, and, and maybe this has changed over the years too, but how much you know, the, the produce division has to, you know, advocate for space in the ad or or how much also, so kind of a second part to the question, how you work with other departments to kind of put things together that are complementary across produce or meat or deli or some of those other departments. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a saying that I've heard it at many different retailers, as goes produce in the ad flyer, goes the rest of the company. So it is super important to have the right amount of advertising space or marketing space in the ad flyer. It's also important on the way that you, you tell that story. So everything from the verbiage that's used to describe that item to the actual image or the picture of that item is so critically important to how that item performs. I know that um, I was thinking of a couple good examples as, as you were asking that question. One that uh, really resonates with me was uh, something I learned throughout my years uh, listening to my representative from the Idaho Potato Commission. And that was the fact that when you're promoting a bag of potatoes, 
don't picture a pile of loose potatoes in the ad. It confuses the customer. They think that they're buying a potato by the pound and they might see the price point next to it and a couple of potatoes in the ad and think that they're paying that high price point for a couple of potatoes. Use an image of the bag of potatoes. So an actual bag of potatoes helps sell and create extra movement on a bag potato sale. So that's kind of my proof that that image is super important. I know that um, the Idaho Potato Commission even took it a step farther and they proved that if you can get a little bit extra ad space in that flyer and you're able to picture that bag of potatoes and right next to it, picture that hot steamy bowl of mashed potatoes with a little slice of butter on the top of it, not only do you pick up sales and movement, but the entire store benefits from it. The basket size, I believe, went all the way up to $83 or $84 for a basket size of somebody that had potatoes in their cart. That was almost double a customer basket size that had no potatoes in the cart. So if you can get the customer thinking about how am I going to use that item that's pictured in the ad? What kind of fun can I have with creating dinner or lunch or whatever with that ad? it tends to allow them to increase their shopping list and buy more than just that item, but buy all the accompaniments that go along with that item and fill that basket up. So imaging is, is definitely important being part of that. Um, a good old fashioned arm wrestling at the ad meeting is sometimes <laughs> needed where you're, you're literally um, stating your case and uh, sometimes arguing and arm wrestling other departments to say, hey, I've got this great item this time of year. It's got high penetration. It brings customer traffic in. I've got track record proof of what it did the last time we used it. It'll carry us. Trust me, if I just have a little bit more space or, or at the top of the ad, you can feature this item. Um, there's a way to actually prove your case. And that's done by proven results and being able to argue those proven results in a um, ad writing or ad um, trying to think of the terminology that was used in the past. Um, one of those get-togethers that would have leadership from each of the departments that uh, is trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do. They're trying to get maximum sales and profitability, but um, being able to uh, talk about and explain to them why your item is so important and why it needs that space and then proving it with facts goes a long ways and that helps out quite a bit. And what are some of those those key statistics that folks should be, you know, armed with when they go into that meeting? Obviously, you know, things like like the the movement of that the the previous year, you know, same week. But I'm guessing also looking at overall stores and even if you've got, you know, looking at the sales of the other departments, right, to try and kind of get people on your side one at a time, maybe. Yeah, that's a time that um, as a as a leader of a department, you have to become humble. And you have to realize that uh, you are only as good as how much you helped the entire store the last time you hosted an ad like this. Um, there, there's no egos involved when you're attempting to get um, dominant presence of your particular ad item. It's strictly about those facts that help tell the story. How did the total store perform year over year that particular week that ad was, was featured? Um, what are the forecasting tools or the forecasting software telling us as a hypothetical, the results of this is going to be and being able to talk about the potential results and overachieving what was done the last time, the same time it was featured and 
the many benefits that the rest of the store reaped from hosting an ad like this can go a long ways, but you do have to have your facts together. Um, you've got to know, you've got to understand when it's time for produce to sit back and take a little bit of a back seat, whether it's the front page or even some back page items. And when it's time to really wave the flag and scream off the rooftops of what a great item that you have and how much you're going to help the entire store benefit from a, a customer count perspective and a building a basket size perspective. And um, most of the time, it, when you get deep into discussions of ad writing and planning and you're in the cycle of it, uh, you know the time of year that you have to step up and you're going to be held accountable and responsible for making sure that uh, you take care of customer traffic into the store and achieving some of those big full baskets that we talked about earlier. Other times, you're also going to know and realize that, hey, no matter how hard I try, there's nothing better than a feature meat item that's going to help us through the holiday season or that's going to help us through this particular key ad period. Um, the same goes with grocery related items. There's some grocery related items that um, certain times a year, it's tough to find a great produce item to be able to replace that or supersede that. So you got to know when to step up and know when to uh, sit back a little bit and uh, help the cause. And that's kind of the name of the ad writing process. So you've got really two different teams involved. You've got your immediate procurement, category management, produce team as a combo. And then you've got the teamwork that you work with, with every other department leader and executive leader of the company that you need to figure out some form of trust and teamwork when you're working with that second team. And that, that second team is usually the team involved in the, in the tail end of finalizing the ad also. So a very critical team to be on everybody's good side and for sure understand some of their challenges and some of their opportunities and um, when they can help the total store out and allow you to take a little bit of that backseat position. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to follow up because you mentioned imagery and gave potatoes an, as an example. Um, to me, that's probably a great tool too, is thinking like, all right, you know, what's, what are some of the other like meal foundation or the things that get you started thinking about meals, right? Whether it's, you know, asparagus or, you know, other kind of cooking vegetables or things that would be really easy to set next to that picture of the steak, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I love that you had mentioned that and brought that up because I forgot to talk earlier about some, some of my justification for liking to write ads two weeks out. And one of those many reasons happens to be the fact that when the produce team is in the trenches writing an ad a couple of weeks out, you're usually able to look over to the other departments and already see the items that they've selected or they've picked out. And so a couple of good examples, um, the meat department is running a great special on fresh salmon. And it's going to be one of the big anchors of the ad. It's going to be front page. It's got tons of customer traffic and potential. Is asparagus ready? Do I have an opportunity with asparagus? Can I pair asparagus or lemons, you know, with that salmon ad? Because that helps kind of create that full meal or that gets the customer wheels spinning a little bit on. I'm not going to just go in and buy salmon. You know, they've got asparagus and lemons and garlic. I got to pick up a few other things and I'm going to make a meal out of the salmon instead of just run in and grab a package of salmon and head back out. And so writing the ad a couple of weeks out 
gives you that avail availability or that ability to partner with the other departments and pick the right items that complement the other items that are already in the ad and be on the same page as far as the theme of the particular ad. And it doesn't really even have to be a holiday theme or a seasonal theme. It could be just on the theme of the, of the week for that particular week of the year that the rest of the store is going to be following. You need to be on that same page and follow suit with them because there's a master reason behind selecting that theme and it's important to, to stay with it for sure. And I'm curious too, once you, and, and this is probably where, you know, the, the kind of different, the hybrid time timeline that you mentioned, having some stuff that's a little bit further out and some stuff a little bit closer, how important is it to kind of formulate the, the merchandising around that as well? You know, how do you build in the flexibility where kind of when you walk in the department, that matches what people are expecting based on that ad? Yeah. And we go back to that team that we talked about, the produce team, the procurement team, the category management team. And part of the team that I didn't mention was a member from the operations team. And it's a collaborative effort that when that, when that ad is being create, created, um, that operations person is involved with saying, I've already got some really good ideas that if you select that item and you promote that item, I've got a place for it. And I've got a part of the store right now for satellite merchandising that I know I can help you achieve those sales goals that you have for that particular item. In fact, I remember the last time that we featured that item, we did this, this, and this, and the results ended up being this, this, and this. And we overachieved expectations, blah, 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 blah. But the viewpoint and the involvement of the operations team on the items that are being selected is super important. So during the ad writing process, it's important, but even more important is afterwards for being able to carry out that level of execution that's needed to achieve the movement of that tonnage that was projected and the expectations of those sales that you just promised the entire company that you were gonna achieve. You can't do it as a procurement team or even a support level executive team member You've got to have the buy-in and the support from the operations folks to, to make it happen. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the old saying goes, um, you know, the, the stores are the ones that have the cash registers up front. The distribution center doesn't and the support office doesn't. It's, it's, at, the, it's at the stores. And so it's very important that uh, you get the operations side of the business involved. And on that second portion of it, it gives them a good week, week and a half to start moving forward and plotting and planning and strategizing and diagramming where that particular item is going to be merchandised and how it's going to be displayed. So you can get very detailed on how it's going to happen. And the, the, the folks that you're, you're mentioning remind me just of how much expertise is, is built in throughout these teams, right? And you've also mentioned forecasting a couple different times, different software that can kind of, you know, play with the proje projections for you and things like that. How do you balance the instinct of the folks who've been in the business a long time and just see, see how things change based on how they're merchandised or time of year or, you know, all those different things? How do you balance that and the, the numbers crunching, you know, projection aspect of it? Yeah, um, when you're working with a team, uh, there's a lot of benefits of teamwork and collaboration together. There are also some headaches. I won't, I won't lie to you. 
Um, it's difficult sometimes working with uh, different folks that have different opinions and different maybe past lives, different success stories from the past lives. Um, ultimately, right now in today's day and age, you depend on facts. You depend on past results and historical data that will actually help some of those folks that uh, are still living in the days of 20 years ago better understand that times have changed and that the facts that are being presented are telling the story of actually what works, what uh, has worked in the recent past for us and what we continue approving upon or have that opportunity to improve upon. It is a balancing act. There's, there's many parts of, of the ad writing process, but once you get everybody on the team to understand the importance of the results and the past data that uh, has told us what's worked, what hasn't worked, and what to never do again, um, there seems to be quite a bit of buy-in from the entire team that uh, there's a, a better understanding of, although it worked 12 years ago in a past lifetime with another retailer for me, um, I saw some good evidence today that proves otherwise. That was many years ago, and today's day and age, based on statistics, based on the data and the track record of, of this company, it just doesn't seem to perform or can't perform as well as it did years ago. So there's a lot of learning that happens, you know, during these events and that writing processes, but to be able to balance it um, is definitely tricky. Um, there's a number of uh, hours each day that are kind of pre-committed to different parts of the ad writing process. And it seems to be a regular routine or a schedule that, you know, certain days there's a responsibility for the number crunching side of it um, to make sure that uh, that simulator generates the results that we're ultimately looking for. And then when it doesn't, that's when you have to go back to the drawing board and adjust schedules a little bit, reconvene and re-strategize and, and determine that um, although you thought you had laid out a pretty nice ad item selection for that ad, the financial results won't allow you to move forward with actually publishing that ad. Um, there might not be enough sales. There might not be enough traffic driving mechanisms in the ad itself. And there might not be enough profitability for the total company to withstand once all that data is plugged into a simulator and you're actually able to see into the future a little bit, the what if. And so that's another probably tough part of the ad writing process is, is that if that what if result comes back and it's not up to the expectations or the thought that um, you had initially, um, it is a big learning exercise, as I said, though, and it helps you get sharper and sharper at the items you select and knowing some of the past history on what's happened that's been disastrous or semi-disastrous, how to steer clear and navigate away from those types of situations. And how much does competitive positioning play into the ad? Because obviously it's it's got to make sense financially, but then there's there's always the store down the street too, right? So so how does that get kind of worked into the process? Yeah, there, there are a lot of retailers out there that are fortunate enough that they just have um, retail competitors in their own home state. Uh, there are many retailers out there that have um, 
retail stores in multiple states. And so they've got different competitors, different demographics, and different competitive reasonings for or strategies for writing the particular ad. Um, competitors play a huge role in what you're doing with the ad. Um, not only do you pay attention to how you performed last week or the week before, last year, the same week, year over year, and some of that data, you also pay quite a bit of attention to how your neighbor performed. How did that competitor across the street and or some of the big competitors within your state or your region, how did they perform? Um, the reason that you were up or down last year, does that have anything to do with the you know, the, the power or the lack of power that was published on the street by ads at competitors that are in your, your neighborhood or your environment. And you have to take a close look at them. Uh, there's also the train of thought that you have to bob and weave a little bit and make sure that you're not duplicating the same exact feature ad item that many of your, your competitors are doing or that uh, your price points that you're selecting are as aggressive or actually a little bit more aggressive than the competitor down the street in order to create that high level of customer traffic into your store instead of turning right into the competitor's store. So there's a lot of thought process put into what the competitor is doing, what the competitor did do in the past, but trying to pivot around both of those is super, super important to the ad writing process. And this, this may be a, an overly simple question, Scott, so I apologize if it is, but how do you go about determining, because so, so maybe they, maybe, you know, the last year at the same time, you guys had the same feature ad item, or they had something else that was at a really hot price, and you thought, oh man, you know, we want to make sure, you know, we get out there on that, or, or whatever the case is, how do you know how they actually did on that, you know, like how it performed, well, were they, were they putting that out there at a price where they were losing money just to make a splash or, you know, like how, how do you evaluate that? Well, a lot of times it's a, uh, it's a dark game and uh, there, there isn't a, an art or a science to it, but I could tell you this to be as close and accurate as possible. Not only do I follow what every single competitor is doing right now, currently, as far as last week and this current week, but I also followed and I kept a track record of what the competitor did or every one of the competitors did last year at the same time for the same week, year over year. So I had a pretty good idea what cycle that they were currently on. And I had a real good idea of what they've done in the past. As far as competitive positioning with the ad, really, how do you keep up with, you know, not only what they're, what they're putting in the ad and the kind of pricing they're putting in the ad, but like, is it a reasonable expectation to compete with it? Like, are they just putting it, you know, sometimes they may be putting out something out there at a, at a crazy price, you know, just to make a splash. And like, is it reasonable to compete with that or, or how you kind of evaluate that? Yeah, again, that all depends on the environment that you're that you're stuck in. Uh, there's a, a competitive environment here in the, the general Phoenix area that is extremely aggressive with produce as the center of the bullseye and the feature items and the feature prices that I see here, um, they're pretty extreme. And uh, I could mention a name or two, but um, I get surprised when I go into a retailer and I see 49 cent strawberries 
Um, that's extremely aggressive. Wow. And, you know, different parts of the United States are not near as aggressive, but um, there are some areas and some demographics that retailers really go to battle with um, trying to get the customer into their store. And unfortunately for the produce department, they are used as the anchor to bring the customers in. So um, the 99 cent ground beef is a thing of the past for sure. Uh, but to see 49 cent strawberries, and this was a couple of weeks ago, um, at a particular retailer uh, is an example of what it takes sometimes for the produce department to be the sacrificial lamb and bring the customers in for the sake of um, customer count and attempting to build that basket a little bit bigger. Coincidentally, when I did shop at that particular store, um, they had a huge promotion going with uh, whipped topping and angel food cakes at the same time. So they were promoting a lot of other items that helped fill the basket once they got the customer into the store. But in answer to your question, how low can you go? Um, there are some extremes on how low you can go. And, and unfortunately, the uh, price point that's selected for the ad doesn't necessarily always come 100% from the produce team and the produce executives. That too is a, a team sport and a group decision that the entire company makes a good educated decision on how low do we really want to go? How effective do we want that price point for produce to be? And do we understand the um, lack of profitability in some cases that this will generate for us? Does it outweigh the amount of customers or new customers that are going to be stopping in the store? And so a lot of, uh, again, data and fact crunching to find out uh, what's best for the total store and the total business. But um, produce is, is used a lot of times to be that, uh, that pivotal item at a rock bottom low price on the front page. So, All right. Well, just a couple more for you, Scott. One that I had written down and was curious about was when you put produce items in the ad, would you rather it be either, you know, no brand or private brand, or would you rather have the name of the supplier, you know, included on there as a way to either, you know, promote that supplier, promote the fact that you carry those brands or, or how do you approach that part of it? Oh, great question. Um, I've, actually, that uh, question for me throughout the years has uh, changed and migrated to my, my current thought of that question. And that is how critical and important it is to have partnerships out there with uh, manufacturers, growers, shippers, that um, are consistent on their quality with a particular brand or a label. And um, that uh, helps the consumer quite a bit. So my feeling right now versus where it was maybe 10 years ago has changed quite a bit. Um, being able to represent and show, advertise and promote a particular farm or company um, is super important to the business. And whenever you have that opportunity, again, it's customer entertainment value. It helps tell a little bit of the story. It helps uh, a customer um, kind of almost subliminally remember that label and that brand and the story behind it. 
and especially the great results they had the last time that they purchased that particular item. So it's kind of a, a fun reminder every time you can um, utilize a logo or a grower shipper name or title in the ad, um, or even through social media and other mechanisms, be able to brag about that grower, shipper, farmer, what have you, uh, of that particular commodity. Uh, it helps. It builds a lot of customer loyalty and strength and is super important to the business. Um, real good example I could think of. In fact, you might have just toured their facility at the uh, Organic Produce Network convention, uh, the Braga Family Farms. Um, they have the uh, the Josie's label on a lot of their commodity items and their packaged salad items. And um, what a great company with quality, uh, with service levels, and with the ability to have the retailer promote their items to actually brag about that company and feature that company and tell the story on their company because they are a very solid partner in our world of produce. Uh, they do a great job with all of the above. And um, you just reap the benefits when you are able to feature some of the quick stories about how that family originated and the uh, importance of Josie, um, the real Josie, and now the, the current brand that they use to brand their products with and how much customers have grown to enjoy that product just by learning those little bits and pieces about companies like that one as an example. Awesome. And then the last one I've got for you, Scott, is I was thinking about, um, you know, the, the customer journey looks a little bit more complex today, right? We have all the different digital entry points um, and different ways that people kind of research before, before they go shop. How influential do you think the ad is, you know, now compared to previous years and, and what's kind of the, the direction you see that going longer term? Sure. Uh, the biggest change for me is it used to be a favorite pastime of mine to wait for the, the Monday late afternoon mail or the Tuesday late afternoon mail and go and grab those paper ad flyers and run through the flyers and see what's happening in the world of uh, retail grocery. Um, one of the big changes that has happened is being able to pick up your smartphone and immediately not rely on the mailbox any longer, but look at what's going on online and get uh, immediate updates on what the promotions are. And a lot of cases I've seen retailers that usually break their official ad on Monday, I'm sorry, Wednesdays, um, resort to advertising what their new ad is going to be as soon as uh, Tuesday. So they're even giving the customer a little bit of a jump start to be able to see what's going to be on sale tomorrow or down the road uh, by getting a little sneak peek at what's happening on the uh, advertised internet flyer that's being published. So I think the exposure to the ad has grown tremendously with the power of technology. Um, before, as a retailer, you were held captive to how many paper flyers you could afford to mail out to your demographics or your, your customer base. And I don't know the statistics behind it, but I do know this, the cost of the paper flyer is one of the biggest costs in an entire retail business. Wow. And so to be able to eliminate the cost of printing and producing that paper flyer and turn it into something that's more beneficial online is a huge value to not only the store, 
but also the customer. There's a little bit of uh, return on investment there. If the retailer is not paying as much for advertising and paper flyers as they used to, um, they're able to host some of these crazy 49 cent strawberry features and some of the other things that they're doing to attract customers. So I think the consumer benefits in a couple of different ways. There's a little bit more of a immediate answer to the question on what's on sale, you know, with the click of uh, the cell phone and smartphone or the computer. Um, but also there's uh, probably some value in it too that's, you know, turned into maybe some lower price points out of the store or a different opportunity for the retailer to hook in a customer, or draw the customer's attention to, to what they're doing. Um, when it comes to online shopping, you know, online shopping, uh, as we know, the last year and a half, two years has become extremely important to everybody's business. And um, looking at what's on sale in an ad flyer online is almost parallel to looking at what's available online to form a shopping list for your grocery delivery that you're going to order on e-commerce instead of hopping in the car and getting the kids together and going down to the neighborhood store and picking your groceries up yourself. So there's been a lot of uh, expansion and a lot of benefit to the consumer with technology coming into play to, to help us all shop a little bit more efficient, efficiently. Um, but in my general opinion, and something that I know is important to me, I love getting out to the stores and being able to touch and feel and look at and get a little bit of that entertainment value that I keep thinking about that I have fun doing that. I have fun shopping and fun being part of in-person, seeing what's available and looking at the beauty of displays and seeing how um, they can pair those cheap strawberries together with all those other different items from all the other departments and all of a sudden change my menu for that night to be, you know, what it ended up being with uh, strawberry shortcake, whipped cream, and uh, vanilla ice cream that topped off dessert that I wasn't planning on. So the benefits of in-store merchandising and the scent, the smell, uh, the sampling tastes and all the other things that you get when you're in the environment of a retail store are always gonna be and still are important to the shopper too. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much as always for taking the time. I, I think we had a, a great deep dive on this topic. I know it's such an important one. so. Really appreciate, as always, you being willing to share your expertise. Sounds great. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate it also. Thanks for having me. Take care. That will wrap us up for this week on the Produce Retail Podcast. We'd encourage you, if you haven't already, to check out our other recent conversations as well. Some of our guests have included Brian Day of Four Seasons Produce, Mark Kruczynski of Garrity's, Kevin Byers with PCC Community Markets, and Mike Roberts with Harps Food Stores. So many smart wonderful people in this industry, and we're really excited to get to bring you their perspective and their insights and their wisdom on so many of these produce retail topics. So thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Produce Retail Podcast.